Alright, if you have your Bibles this morning, open them up, take them and turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. The Boy Who Gave His Lunch. It's the title of this morning's message. You know, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there are many stories, if you read all four of the Gospels, there are many stories that are in one or the other that aren't in all four. Um, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels because they're similar. Uh, they have uh, a similar writing style, uh, many of the same stories, uh, and they, ha- they have them in a similar sequence, and really the wording is similar. But John, the last of the, of the four, was written much later and has a different style and has a lot of things that he, uh, he doesn't include in his gospel that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do, such as, I mean, big, big things such as the temptation of Christ and the transfiguration, the Lord's Supper, and, and John doesn't include any of uh, Jesus' parables like the synoptic gospels. But John does have a lot of things in his gospel that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not, such as uh, he includes a lot of Jesus' early ministry that they don't. Uh, He has the resurrection of Lazarus in there. And he has what's called Christ's farewell discourse, which is, you know, chapter 15, 16, 17 of John, uh, talking about, um, I am the vine, you are the branches, as they're walking to the garden. Uh, He has in there... Uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit that He's going to send and that's going to lead us and guide us and teach us all truth. We have in there that prayer that Christ prayed for His disciples, that prayer of intercession for us, which all those things are so valuable to us as believers and Christians. But the story we're going to look at this morning, interestingly enough, is in all four of the Gospels. This story is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to take a look at it from John and kind of refer to Matthew a little bit as well. But all four of these have this story in it. So as you have your Bible there, open to John chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed Him because they saw His miracles, which He did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great multitude come unto him. And he said unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here, which hath five, five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in a number of about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, 
He distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto the disciples, Gather up the fragments which remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the barley loaves which remained over above them that had eaten. So just for uh, uh, to clarify here, leftovers are scriptural. We see that here established in the, in the Bible. Jesus Christ had them gather up the leftovers and that's what I'm sure the disciples ate for days afterwards. But we see here in a parallel passage, Mark, as he talks about the same, the same story, Mark says this in Mark chapter 6 and verse 34, And Jesus, when He came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And He began to teach them many things. Notice here Christ's compassion on the multitude. The, the compassion of Christ, it moved Christ to begin to meet their need. And the first need that Christ began to meet was their spiritual need. Obviously, in the passage, Christ met their physical need as well. But the Bible says that He was moved with compassion and He began to teach them. Now these folks that had come out from all the villages and cities to hear Christ, uh, they obviously were not being taught by the religious and political leaders of that day, the Jewish people. And Jesus Christ, He came, and He came into the world, I believe, for the same reason. He became into the world out of compassion. Out of, Jesus came to the world to be born of a virgin, uh, to be the sacrifice for sin, He came out of a great need. Jesus Christ came because we needed Him. The world needed Him. We know that the Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It was the everlasting life the compassion that Christ had is the reason why He came into the world. The Bible says in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus said, The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus Christ came to seek and save those that are lost. Why? Out of great compassion. This is the great a search and rescue mission. Jesus Christ, God, the Creator of the world, now because of sin, had to come to the world that He created to bring restoration. When it came time to, for salvation, when it came time for this great search and rescue mission, His compassion moved Him not to send some great prophet, not to send a priest, not to even send some powerful angel. But God Almighty said, I'm going to take care of this myself. And He made Himself a man and came to earth out of compassion for the world. The Bible says that uh, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is the compassion of Jesus Christ. 
He came to shine the light. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And He came to shine that light. The glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians. He says that the world, our eyes have been blinded by the God of this world, small g, Satan, who has tried to uh, blind us from the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Christ came so that we could have the gospel message. Receive that forgiveness and receive that hope and receive the grace and receive the mercy of a long-suffering Savior, Jesus Christ. As we begin to look at this message, as we begin to look at this, uh, this story of the feeding of the 5,000 here in John, I believe it's interesting to notice Christ's interaction with His followers with His disciples, and Christ's interaction with the multitude. I believe that that Christ deals with us the same way today as He dealt with people then. He interacts with us in a personal way, and He proves us and grows our faith uh, just like He did uh, the disciples and the followers of Christ then. You'll notice it says there in verse 5 and 6 of John chapter 6, that Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great multitude come unto him. And he said unto Philip, interesting, when shall we buy bread that that these may eat? He asked Philip this question. Now that's, when you think about that, that's an interesting uh, scenario in and of itself that Christ, God, is asking Philip, what are we going to do? But he wasn't asking Philip, what are we going to do? Because he needed to know what to do. He was asking Philip, what are we going to do? Because he, he wanted Philip to trust him. He wanted Philip to have some faith here. Philip had already seen Christ do great miracles. And, and Philip had the Old Testament and knew the miracles that God had, had done for, for his people uh, down through the ages. And so Christ was testing, was proving, the Bible says, Philip. It says that in verse 6. And this he said to prove him. For he himself knew what he would do. Whenever God tests us, whenever God proves us, it's for our own good. He's doing that uh, for our own good. Uh, While Christ is dealing with, having compassion on, meeting the needs of the multitude, I find it interesting that Christ is always taking time for the individual. As the multitude's coming toward him, I mean, this is a crisis. As the multitude's coming for him, they're hungry. He has to feed them. He takes time out to begin to work on Philip's spiritual growth. You see that? He takes time out for Philip. And he's, he's hoping to teach him a lesson. One thing I know and we all know is God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. He spent, sent His Spirit down here on earth and it is here today. God's omnipresent. But God deals with His children. He deals with you and I as if we were the only ones in the world. Doesn't it seem like that sometimes? Right in the midst of the multitude, right in the midst of the chaos, right in the midst of all the things going on, He begins to deal with Philip on a personal basis. He'll do the same thing with you and I. He really will. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus Christ, He already knew what He was going to do, didn't He? He said He did. He already knew what He was going to do. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, when you're dealing with an omniscient God, 
That's an all-knowing God. I mean, He knows everything. You're dealing with a... Let me say it this way. There is no crisis come to Christ that He didn't know what He was going to do in eternity past. I mean, there's just nothing that catches Him by surprise. There's nothing that we're facing today or going through in our life that He doesn't already know the outcome. Boy, doesn't that give some peace to your heart? Doesn't that give some comfort to know that the God of the universe that's standing right with us and that is there with us, that He already knows how this is all going to turn out, but He's working on Philip's heart. He wants Philip to grow in faith. He wants Philip. You see here, Philip, he's a disciple. He's the follower of Christ. Philip is serving the Lord here by serving the lost, by serving the multitude, right? Sometimes we in our Christian life and in our Christian walk, we're serving the Lord by serving other people. And right in the middle of our service, God's about ready to teach us something. Right in the middle of us doing, serving the Lord, He's about ready to strengthen our faith. He's about ready to grow our faith. He wants to do that. He is so uh, uh, interested in our personal, everyday lives. God needs to grow our faith, does He not? I mean, could we all use our faith to grow? I'd say amen right there. We need our faith to grow. Uh, and, 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 and God, He puts circumstances in our lives to test us, to prove us. And if we trust Christ and we see that God comes through for us in a miraculous way, I believe in miracles. He comes through in miraculous ways in our life. You know what that does for us? Boy, God can handle this. The next crisis, the next situation that we're facing, you're almost like, God, I don't know how you're going to handle it, but I know you're going to handle it because you're faithful and you're true. And you've got this all under control. I can trust that. It's interesting here that it seems as if Christ, all He wants Philip to do is trust Him. As He was proven, Philip, I think the answer that He wanted from Philip and really the answer that Christ wants from us is, I don't know how you're going to feed Him, God, but you, you can handle it. I mean, Philip knew that for 40 years God had Philip fed hundreds of thousands, if not a million plus people for 40 years from manna from above. He just rained it down out of heaven. I mean, you know, when you have a track record like that, when you see the multitude coming, you might not know what he's going to do, but you know that it's going to be okay. He's trying to take, he's trying to take uh, Philip out of his human reaction and cause them to come to a place of faith-filled action. Of trusting God and just believing that He can and will. The Bible says, I, I think I mentioned this even last week, that, uh, that uh, faith, it's the thing that pleases God. Faith pleases God. Only by faith are we able to please God. He likes that faith. You, a Christian, us, we like Philip may be facing the multitude here today. Something in your life you're looking at and you're saying, I can't handle this. I don't think I can handle this. I can't afford this. I can't put up with this anymore. I don't know how this is going to work out. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 36, that same parallel passage to John 6, 
where it talks about Christ feeding the 5,000, the Bible says in Mark 6.36 that the disciples, they went up to Jesus and they asked them, they said, send them away. We can't feed them. Send the multitude away. You know, so many times when you and I are facing something in our lives, you know what our prayer is? Lord, get rid of it. Lord, send it away. I don't want to face this anymore. I don't want to deal with this anymore. God, send this problem of mine away. But God, a lot of times, He is going to take that problem, He's going to take that situation in our life, and He's going to take us right through the middle of it. You know, so many times, like, we call a storm in life. That's a problem, a a trial, a tribulation that we go through in our lives. So many times we, hey, as Christians, we know God can, He can calm the storm. If He chooses to, He can just stop it dead in its tracks. He's done it before. And He can do that, and so it doesn't hurt to pray for that. But if He chooses not to calm the storm, there's a reason for that. He wants to build our faith. He wants to grow our faith. And He may be wanting to go through the storm with us. Go through the hardship with us. Why? For our own good. Why? To grow us up. Why? To grow our faith. Why? To please God. I find it interesting here that the Lord said to Philip, what are we going to do? Now, Philip, he was already nervous and kind of in a a tizzy here with the whole scenario of feeling obligated to feed these 5,000, that he didn't even recognize that key word, we. Whenever the creator of the universe, whenever God Almighty says, what are we going to do? You can rest assured that everything's going to be okay. That means he just put himself in the equation with you. And whenever Christ is in the equation with you, I'm telling you, there is nothing, there is nothing that we can't face and come through better for. Philip didn't recognize the word we. You know, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, God says He sends us His Spirit. He gives us a promise, a promise that we can hold on to. That He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Never again as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, do we have to face this life as a me. Me. From now on, we can face this from here till eternity as we. As we. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. Whenever God says, hey, what are we going to do about this? You know, sometimes our problems become so overwhelming and so impossible and so outrageous. It's better for us just to say, God, I can't handle this. What are you going to do? God, what are you going to do? I, 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 I know I can't take care of this, but I know you can. Just rest assured that He's going to do it. Look, There's so many things that we we need to do and would like to do in our walk with Christ spiritually. But if God doesn't do it, it's not going to get done. If He doesn't do it, it's not going to get done. And that's just kind of a nice place to get to. To where saying, hey, there's so many things that we would love to see God do, but there's no way, there's no one here powerful enough or, or talented enough or have the ability enough to do really anything spiritual. We can do some things naturally that will last for a little while, but to do something that lasts for eternity, we don't have that capability in us. So it might as well, we all might as well just come to the place and say, God, if you're not going to do it, then it's not getting done. It kind of takes the burden off us, doesn't it? 
If anything's going to get done, Jesus said that in John chapter 15. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And then He goes on to say, without Me, you can do nothing. That's a good place to come to. That If anything's going to get done spiritually, it's got to be God anyhow. And if God's going to be doing it, it doesn't matter if it's a little problem or a really, really big problem. He can handle it. He can handle it. We no longer have to face our problems alone, but we have Christ. There's no problem too big. We can look at our problems now and say, God, I'm excited to see how you're going to handle this one. God, this is a big problem in my life, and I'm, I'm looking forward to see how you're going to deliver. Just as the children of Israel stood there at the Red Sea, my goodness, Jordan, God parted the waters just in time. Just in time. He can do that for us. I believe as Christians that it's not the right feeling for us to be scared or fearful. I don't think that we have to. Uh, when we're full of faith, I don't think that we hit those feelings of fear and those feelings of, of being uh, scared. Uh, I think the Lord, through His perfect love, will cast out all fear, the Bible says. When we really know that the Creator of the universe, God Almighty, loves us, and He takes personal responsibility for you as His child. That gives... I mean, that's... It'll help us to get out of our human reaction to our crisis, to our problems. Christ, He's dealing with Philip in the middle of this, feeding the 5,000. Then I find someone really interesting in the story that's a little more popular, and that's the lad. That's this child. That's this little boy. Now, we already knew, we already know that Christ knew that the lad had a lunch. Because he's all-knowing, right? We already knew that the lad was going to bring his lunch. We already know that Christ knew that the lad was going to give his lunch. We knew that God knew that he was going to take the lunch and multiply it. I find it's interesting the way that God chose to use or the way He chose to feed the 5,000. He could have done it anyway. Satan knew that Jesus could turn the stones into bread. Like I said, He'd fed the nation of Israel. Uh, I did the multiplication. It may be wrong. My calculations may be a little off. But the best I could come up with, God had already fed the multitude, hundreds of thousands, maybe a million, 12,480 times. I mean, he had a pretty good track record of being able to, to feed a multitude. And that, he just rained manna out of heaven, just dropped it right out in their laps. But today, this scenario, this way, he chose to do it through the lad. He chose to do it through the boy. Don't you sometimes find it interesting who God uses sometimes to accomplish his will? To accomplish his task. I find it interesting as we learn and read the, the stories in the life of Christ. That Christ, unlike us, so many times we're goal oriented. You know, it's so important to us that we achieve the task, right? But a lot of times Christ, he's more interested in enriching someone's life. While accomplishing the task. 
And that's exactly what he was about to do in this little boy's life. The last person, think about this, the last person that the disciples would have consulted in the midst of a crisis was this little boy. Now, not to give Philip a hard time, I think you and I would be, it would take a miracle, it would take a lot of faith for us not to have the same reaction as Philip. Think about this in real terms. If 5,000 people were heading towards you unexpectedly and you felt obligated to feed them, how would you feel? I mean, even here in Dayton, Ohio, right now, there's not a restaurant, that there's not a chef or a caterer that could handle 5,000 people unexpectedly. I mean, anyone would start to say, what am I going to do? How am I going to feed them? Where are we going to get the food? How can we afford it? How can all these sort of things? That's a big, that's a big task of feeding 5,000. The last person, the last person that they would have went and asked for help was this little boy. The Bible tells us in John chapter 6 and verse 9 that the disciples, they brought the lad to Christ, but they were still doubting. They said, well, you know, we have this five loaves and two fishes, but what, they even said that to Christ, but what is that among so many? As if, this little insignificant lunch here is all we got, and it's just not going to cut it. It's not going to do it. But this makes me think of the heart of the child. I mean, we don't have the whole conversation here. We don't know how old this little boy was, but he must have had childlike faith. I mean, he must have thought that his little lunch could make a difference. Can you imagine the conversation as he took his little lunch, walked up to the disciples and said, Here, you guys can use this. You can have this to feed the multitude. And I'm sure they were like, No, you know, thanks for the thought, but there's 5,000 here. You've got just a little lunch that you've packed. The child, he must have thought that his little lunch could make a difference. Isn't that so interesting? Childlike faith. He thought that his little lunch could help this multitude. So he offered it to Christ. I can hear him say to the disciples, here, give this to Christ. See what he can do with it. The lad really, all he did was give back to Christ what Christ had already, what God had already provided for him. We know the Bible tells us in Genesis that God created the fish and the the animals and the herbs, all those things to be meat for us, didn't He? The Bible tells us. So He provided that for them. And most likely, I'm reading a little bit into the story, but most likely God provided this little lad with with parents that provided the lunch for him. Probably packed his lunch for him. And you know what? I got thinking about this. No one would have blamed this little lad if while the multitude was coming and he looked at them and thought, well, they're all hungry. Thank you, Lord, for providing for me. And went ahead and just ate it. No one would have blamed the little boy for doing that, would we? Thank you, Lord. I'm thankful that I have a little bit that I can eat. I see the multitude there that have nothing. But he took a little different approach, didn't he? He took that little bit that he had and he said, Lord, could you use this? Is this of any value? I know it's insignificant to your disciples. I know that it's insignificant to the multitude, but Christ, what would you do with just a little bit? 
What would you do with my little bit that I have? A childlike faith. We may be here today and just have a little bit. You might just have a little bit of of talent, a little bit of skill, a little bit of kindness, a little bit of education, a little bit of money, a little bit of love. And you may even think that my little bit, you know, my little bit, I could never impact the world with my little bit. Sometimes, I, I don't know if you ever feel this way, but you, you might feel like you don't even have enough to affect the little bit around you. Sometimes, as a parent, you might feel like you don't have enough for your kids. You don't, God, am I able to do this? The job that you have. God, am I able? God, can you help me? Uh, the people that God's put around you, my little bit, is it enough? I think it is. I guarantee this little, little, little boy's faith it was changed for the rest of his life. Let me say this. I bet the boy never forgot that lunch that he gave to Christ and he saw it multiply to 5,000. <laughs> God may have been working on Philip, but Christ was also working on the lad. Right in the middle of the multitude, God was going to make a lasting imprint on this little boy. Can you imagine? Can you imagine after everyone had eaten, eaten till they were full, seeing the little boy? Again, I don't know how old he is. I have kind of a picture in my mind. But can you imagine people walking up to the little boy and say, Was that your fish? Was that your bread? Man, thank you. Wow, we we're all full. Fed me and my family and all the folks in my village. Wow, that was great. Thank you. And I can just imagine the little boy in a simple way saying, Oh, all I did was just gave a little bit to Christ. I just gave that little bit that I had to Christ. And I watched Him multiply. God has a funny way of doing things. His purpose, His plan for our life. If we offer that little bit to Him for His service, if we offer the little bit that we have, the little bit that God's provided for us, He'll use it. Our little talent, our little skill, our little love, our little kindness. If we offer it to the Lord, I think He'll use it. I think He'll use it to feed the multitude. He'll use it to provide for others. He'll use you, He'll use me to provide for other people's needs. How fulfilling. You know what? That lad, he still ate to the full. There was 12 baskets left over. That little lad, he gave his lunch away, but he ate just as much as he would have eaten if he wouldn't have. And then he got to see everybody else get full too. Isn't it amazing how God works? He doesn't work the way we, we think, does he? His ways are not our ways, the Bible says. They're his thoughts, our thoughts. Never again will it be me, but it's we. There's a story of a, a little boy, D.L. Moody. I heard this story a long time ago, and it uh, kind of affected me, and so I went and did some research and tried to find the story again, and I found it uh, this last week. D.L. Moody, he was a preacher during the uh, late 1800s, and he really he started off as a as a Sunday school teacher, and his Sunday school class grew and grew, and then adults started coming to his Sunday school class, and there was a thousand or more, and and eventually he started Moody Church and Moody Bible Institute, which is 
in Chicago still today, downtown. And Moody, uh, D.L. Moody was uh, great in the use of God. D.L. Moody, as a pastor and teacher, but he also was uh, an evangelist. He would travel uh, the country, all over America, and, and even into England, and preach. And when D.L. Moody would go and preach, they'd pack the place out. It was really common for 15 to 30,000 people to show up uh, when he would preach. And many times the, the uh, auditorium wouldn't hold all that many, and there would be just as many people outside or more than were inside. You couldn't get in. There was a story told by a, by a preacher uh, about D.L. Moody long after D.L. Moody had died. And this preacher tells the story uh, uh, of, of D.L. Moody coming to his church, coming to the church uh, where he was at at that time. D.L. Moody, a traveling evangelist, was going to be holding, holding meetings. And just like any, any meeting, the church was packed out every night. And as the story goes, there was this little boy who was all ragged and, and dirty and just a street kid. And, and he was all by himself. And he wanted to go hear this D.L. Moody, this preacher, preach. And this little boy went up to the, to the door to get in. And, and the greeter there, the keeper of the door, sent him away. There wasn't going to be enough room anyhow for everyone that was coming. And this boy was there by himself. And he sent the boy away. He said, no, you go home, run along. You can't come in here. And the boy kept saying, I really want to hear D.L. Moody preach. And he said, no, you can't go. Get out of here, boy. And so the boy, disappointed and, and heartbroken, went around to the side of the church in the alley and, and knelt down beside the building, put his, his face in his hands and sat there and was crying. And this carriage pulls up beside the building and D.L. Moody gets out and is going to head inside the side door of the church. And he sees this little boy down there crying. He walks up to the little boy and says, what are you crying for? And he said, uh, I wanted to go here. I wanted to hear D.L. Moody preach. And he said, I wanted to hear that great preacher. And he said, but the guy at the front door, that big mean guy, he won't let me in. He said, and, and he said, and I can't get past them. And they won't let me in the church. D.L. Moody said, you really want to hear D.L. Moody preach? And he said, yeah, I really do. And he said, well, I have an idea. I think I can get you in. He said, grabbed the back of his suit coat like this, and he said, you, you hold on to this suit coat with both your hands, all right? And the boy said, okay. And he said, no, don't let go. And he said, and I think I can get you in to hear D.L. Moody preach. So D.L. Moody goes in the side door and goes through the, the auditorium shaking hands and talking to people. And eventually D.L. Moody makes his way up onto the stage and behind the pulpit. And by this time, the boy's starting to realize maybe this is D.L. Moody that he's holding on to his coattails. And D.L. Moody tells the boy to sit in the chair that was reserved for D.L. Moody. And there that little boy got to hear the glorious message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ preached by D.L. Moody. And the preacher that told this story in this church says, I know that this story is true because this church is the, is, is, is the uh, that was my church where D.L. Moody preached. And he says, and I was that little boy that held on to his, and he said, he said, little did I know that one day I would be the pastor of that church where I held on to D.L. Moody's and, and, uh, coat. But I think that's true. We never know the insignificant people that we, the keeper of the door, you know, he didn't know this little insignificant boy that one day he'd be the pastor of that church. But Christ, he sees into the future. Christ, he knows, and he knows that little 
the, the little gift that we have, the little gift that we can give, Christ can multiply it and make so much out of it. In conclusion this morning, you may be that lad. You may be that lad or you may be Philip. You may be part of the multitude here this morning, one that's lost without a shepherd. One that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Can I say if you're lost here this morning, you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus has compassion on you. Jesus, He'll draw him, He'll draw you to Himself. He loves you. And He would offer you the free gift of salvation, grace. You may be like Philip and you may be facing something in your life and you really don't know how it's going to get handled. You really don't know how God's going to deliver you. By faith, can I encourage all of us this morning, by faith, just thank God that He's going to take care of it. Just thank God that, hey, whatever I'm facing, Lord, I don't know how you're going to handle it, but I'm trusting you're going to handle it. And it's as good as taken care of. It's as good as finished. You may be that boy that you have something little, something that you feel like is insignificant, almost embarrassed to offer it to God. I encourage you this morning, offer it to Him. Give it to Him. Give Him that gift and see how He can multiply it. See how He can take it and use it in a great way. I think the greatest thing that we can offer Christ as a Christian, as a believer, is our life. The greatest thing that we can offer Him. And I know we all know this, but it takes faith to believe it. That if we offer our life to Christ and allow Him to take it and use it for His glory and honor, He'll multiply. He'll use us in a way that is better than the plan that we had for ourselves. He'll use us to provide for others. He'll use us to give to others in a way that we never thought. Give the little bit that we have back to God. He's provided for us. We could thank Him for what He's provided for us, or we could give it back. Surrender your life to the service of Jesus Christ, just as the lad surrendered his lunch. We're going to stand and sing. We're going to stand and sing page 58. If the Lord's dealt with your heart, you don't need to sing, just pray and talk to Him. Maybe surrender. Surrender your life. Or maybe like Philip, you just got to believe that He's going to take care of it. Or again, like I said, maybe you're here this morning. You don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. He wants to know you. He wants to forgive you. He wants a relationship with you. Turn to page 58. As we sing this song, You are my all in all. Thank mm-hmm. you.